Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, and as they uh, sit down, I'm going to encourage you, especially if you're married or if you're a couple or you ever want to get married, take out your sermon notes. And and it's not because there's such riveting points there. We're going to have a little bit different message, a little bit different series. We're going to do a short series called Family Matters. And we say family matters. We're talking about the the whole family, some focused on marriage, some focused on singles and those who are dating, some focused on parenting with that. So there's a little bit of everybody's a part of that church family. And today I've entitled the message Marriage Tune-Up, Marriage Tune-Up. And let me just say a caveat at the beginning here. We're going to cover some different categories. Every one of these could be a sermon series. Every one of these you could go, oh man, he should have said so much more and probably could have. Here's the goal of today. Just like with your car, you should have it tuned up. You should take it in for diagnostics and they check all your levels and they check the fluids and check the oil, make sure spark plugs are new and all the different parts with it to keep the car running well. It shouldn't be too laborious a process if the car's in pretty good shape. You can do it pretty quickly and move forward, but it's so important to do. Today, we're going to do a little marriage tune-up. Our goal here is not to do repair where there's been huge damage. If the engine is shot on your marriage, um, I can't fix it in one sermon, sorry. If you're in a ditch right now, and I I say this honestly, because sometimes... You can come and if you're really struggling, a sermon like this can almost be more frustrating because you go, oh, that seems so simple. You probably didn't get to where you are overnight. You're probably not gonna get out of it overnight if you're really struggling right now. But I say this because my goal would be for all of our marriages, the categories, the topics, the things we wanna pay attention to today can keep you out of the ditch, can actually keep the engine from being destroyed. There's there's all these different parts of it. And so we're gonna use it. And so if you are married, desire to be married, or in in a relationship at all, I would encourage you, we're gonna use this as a diagnostic tool as we go through, as you pull your notes out. I've got some different categories that we just wanna look at when we think about a marriage tune-up. And the first category of it is commitment, commitment. And and I say that out of the gate, especially because everything I'm teaching, by the way, is going to be based on biblical teaching on marriage. There's a lot of teaching on marriage out there, some of which would even disagree with what I'm saying. Um, As a church, we've built everything that we do based on the truth that we believe marriage was ordained by God, given by God. And so I'm teaching based on that. And the core of it will be a start and a call to commitment. It's a commitment that protects your marriage. It's actually a commitment that protects the love in your marriage. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the the German pastor who was uh, killed by Hitler and and while he was in prison in Nazi Germany, he wrote a letter to one of his best friends who was about to get married. He was supposed to go do the marriage ceremony. He was killed before. And in the letter, he has this one line. I, I love that he puts in it when he talks about the commitment. He said, on your marriage today, today you're very young, very much in love, and you think your love will sustain your marriage. It won't, but your marriage can sustain your love. 
So there's a big difference. There's a, a commitment that we often think, and when he's using that term love, when you're young and you're in love and you think, oh man, we'll always feel this way. You won't, you won't. But a commitment can sustain the love. It's a little bit like a greenhouse. You, you can go to, a, you've been to a greenhouse, you know, it's a, usually a glass box. They can build a greenhouse almost anywhere. I mean, as long as within the structure of it, you keep it sealed, you put the right environment, you can create an environment to grow things in the middle of a harsh location because of the structure of the greenhouse. And this is what God's given us in marriage, folks. When God ordained marriage, he said, hey, I've got a real strong structure of what it is. The Bible calls to it. That's why we teach it. So that if you honor that structure, if you honor that commitment, you can create an environment of love that can grow in some of the harshest of circumstances. And so when we think about a marriage tune-up, a good place to start just kind of in your own level is just go, man, am I committed both to what God says about marriage, but am I committed to my marriage? As we look at that, the first place of that commitment, you're either pursuing Christ or you're pulling back from him. Now, again, you said, Tim, I thought you were talking about marriage. Yeah, the core point, if you wanna think about your marriage commitment and making your marriage strong, the core place to start is think about your own personal relationship with Jesus. Because as you pursue him, here's what it'll do. It'll free up your marriage in ways. One of the best things that you discover at some point is that your spouse will never be able to satisfy you the way Jesus does. They weren't made to. They can't. And it almost frees you up to free them up that much more. When you realize as I pursue Christ, he's doing things in my heart and life that she never can and he never can. Now, it does not free them up from the expectations they have, hear me. But it's this, this point that I'm discovering there's things that only Christ can do in me. As the two of you individually pursue Christ, you know what happens? You both, as you're both going toward Christ, you get closer and the marriage gets stronger every time. This is why the, the warnings of scripture of, of not being unequally yoked. That's why when I counsel Christians, it's always like you need to marry another Christian because it gives you that basis and it gives you that connection with each other as the two of you pursue Christ together. I always love the old Ecclesiastes verse, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands though is not quickly broken. And he's talking about when you make a rope, a strongest rope is three strands. And, and in a Christian marriage, I would say the third strand, when Christ is woven through the marriage, the strength that it brings, the connection you have with each other, and as I say this, just right now, we're not trying to fix everything, but we're doing a little marriage tune-up. As you think about your own life, are you right now really in a place where you say, yeah, I'm really pursuing Christ. And my spouse would know that. They would feel that. Or am I pulling back? And I've counseled enough couples. I've seen enough over the years. It's interesting. Sometimes you'll see a couple and they start out and they're strong, they're strong in their faith. And one of them kind of starts drifting. We talked about it last week, that, that wondering. And they start pulling back a little bit. And they think it's just, well, it's just my spiritual life. 
it starts putting strain on the marriage as well. Because this uniting place, this connecting place is now a place that there's, you feel that division in it. I'd say it also, you can see it happen. Sometimes it's not just one, sometimes both of them. You, you just both kind of go, you know, we've done the church thing for a lot. We're not really gonna plug in that much more. We, we, we're not doing the life group thing. We've done life groups for years. We, we kind of, we just, and without even thinking about it, you slowly are pulling back in your own personal pursuit and pursuit as a couple. And I'm just telling you, it has an impact. It has an impact on marriage as well. And so there's a healthy place. Every so often just kind of stop and go, how are we doing in this area? How am I doing in my personal commitment to Christ? How could we talk about this as a couple? One of my key things on this whole, whole thing, this, there's no perfect diagnostic, but I am gonna ask all the way through that you kind of mark where are we as a couple on the spectrum? Um, and I say that as a couple, don't mark, here's where I am, here's where he is. <laughs> now you may have that discussion later because it's impacting you as a couple. I, in fact, on every one of these categories, it's gonna be easier for you to see where your spouse is messing up than you. Here's the reality though, you can't change them, you can change you. And so as a couple, use it and just kind of, hey, where are we? Where are we in our pursuit? And have a conversation, where are you in your individual pursuit? You know, venture they teach the seven practices. How are we doing on those seven practices? Are we applying those things? How could we do more together? And, and it doesn't have to be this, none of these conversations have to be this guilt-ridden and, and we're doing this. Remember, we're doing tune-up here. It's just diagnostic to go, hey, it may be great, but is this a category we could be better in? Uh, under commitment as well, core part of a commitment in a Christian marriage it really comes down to sacrificial love and respect versus selfish love and disrespect. Uh, there's a lot of passages, Ephesians chapter five, 1 Peter three. Some of the core marriage passages, which books are written on just those passages. And so again, I'm not gonna plumb the depths of them, but if you look at them in both passages, there's this call for men and women to live like Jesus. And in marriage, that means a sacrifice to each other that involves love and respect. And as you read through this, these passages, you're gonna see both of them. Can I say there's some differences? Sometimes the differences get overblown. So that you'll hear teaching like all women want is love and all women, men want is respect. No, they both want both. They both need both. It's what you lead with though, out of it. If you look at Paul's teachings in Ephesians 5, he says it this way. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Guys, wouldn't it be easy if he had just put a period right here instead of a comma? Husbands, love your wives. And then we could go, well, I love my wife. And we get to define how we love her. He goes, no, no, let me tell you what that looks like. You love your wife in the same way that Christ loved his church. And if you read the passage and if you look in the Bible, how did Christ love his church? He sacrificed everything all the time. He even says later, when he finds her weaknesses and flaws, he loves her that much more. Because that was his commitment to her. He says, as he, and, and gave himself up for her. And then later in verse 33, he says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And 
and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's the core command that Paul gives toward it. In Ephesians 5, most of it's directed toward the husband. First Peter 3, Peter says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives, the way that you're treating them. Even if they're not a follower of Jesus, the way you're treating them is making an impact. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, you have a respect for them. Man, you're building them up. Later, Peter says this to husbands. He says, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. You're always looking at how do I understand her better? Not the other way around. It's not that she she just needs to know this is how I am. This is how things are gonna be. Peter goes, "Mm, actually, you're trying to understand her. He says, showing honor. That's the same word for respect, by the way. So she needs respect too. And she deserves that to the woman as a weaker vessel. He's not saying lesser vessel. He's just saying, let's be honest. You're physically strong and you can use your physical strength to really hurt her. He goes, not in God's kingdom, not in Christian marriages. That stuff never shows up. It's never a part of it. Since they're heirs of you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. God thinks this is so important. You don't do this right, guys. It hinders your prayer life. And I always say this to to Christian husbands. If if you're a Christian couple, when you married your wife, God is now not only your heavenly father, he's your heavenly father-in-law. And he cares about his daughter. So much so, he says, you're not showing her honor. You're not treating her with the respect she deserves. You're not understanding her. Don't show up and think we're gonna have this great quiet time together and it's gonna be so deep because I actually care how you treat her. Now, again, I told you there's a whole sermon series just on this section with it. Here's the core thing in both of them, if you notice, all throughout the language is this sacrificial love and respect. Now, Paul emphasizes, and Peter as well, husbands lead with love, wives lead with respect. And it's interesting, if you read the studies through it, men as a whole do not feel loved if they don't feel respected. And so there's part of this practical command, as he feels, man, you respect him, you're for him, he feels that sacrificial love that much more. Flip side of it, women, if they don't feel loved, it's hard for them to feel anything else. And so the respect that you might have, oh man, you're showing me honor, you don't love me though. And so at the core of it, both of us are called, like Jesus, to sacrifice our lives for the sake of the other. You know, years ago, there's a section of men's fraternity. I've I've taught the guys on this in marriage. And we had this one phrase that we would use, died to live. And it's based on Christ. Christ says, man, if you're willing to give up your life, then you experience greater life. Same thing's true in marriage. You die to yourself so that you may live. Now, I had some unintended consequences of this, though. I had a friend of mine, and and he really, man, he, he got that phrase, die to live, die to live, die to live. So he started saying it at home all the time, in the worst context. Because his wife would say, she'd say to him, hey, can you pick up the kids? And he'd go, die to live. (laughs) Hey, could you help with the dishes? Die to live. I mean, he's throwing out all the time, like, I'm dying to myself to live for you. How loved do you think she felt from that? In fact, I saw her one time, she's like, hey, thanks for the teaching. Love the die to live. Yeah, good, really good. You did well there. Uh, Let let me say it this way, and and here's what I'd encourage you. Yes, internally, man, we need to have a mindset that 
I'm willing to die to self that this marriage may live, that they may live, that they can flourish in it. As you do this, here's what I'd say to guys, instead of just saying out loud, die to live, here's what needs to be our response to our wives as guys. Three words, I got this, I got this. You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. When you look up and you're both exhausted and the dishes still need to be done, you get up and you go, I got this. When it's bath time for the little kids and the last thing either one of you wanna do is go wrestle the rugrats in there for the next 30 minutes. When the diaper needs to be changed and it's the smelly one. I know husbands, husbands are great at like acting like they didn't smell it. You, you do that young guys, you know, like the whole room just stinks and the wife walks in and goes, oh, they've got a dirty diaper. And the husband's like, oh, do they? Oh, oh, I did, you know, his eyes are watering. It smells so bad, but uh, I didn't notice that. You step up and you go, I got this. When the teenagers are talking back to her again, you step up, you go, I got this. I'll step into this. See guys, die to live is not this, oh glorious, I laid down my life. It's just day after day after day, you step forward and you go, yeah, I got this. I'm with you, I got you. Now, let me say on the flip side of it to wives, you know what that respect sounds like? It's another simple phrase. It's not that you're walking around, you're treating him like he's something special. You're both special. But you say to your husbands on a consistent basis, you got this. You build him up. Those those days when, when he feels so beat down by work, man, you're that consistent voice, man, you got this. Those days when he looks at the dishwasher and he says, I think I could fix it myself. You can have the repairman on speed dial, but at least look at him and go, you got this, let him try. It's that speaking into his life, leading in a way that you go, man, I am for you, I trust you, you got this. I know some of you go, oh man, are you just about building up the male ego? It's not that, but hear me, our culture's done a great job of destroying the male ego. And our young men are not better for it. Strong women want strong men, need strong, they're looking for strong men. And one of the greatest voices you have as a wife and as parents is speaking into him and going, you got this and being that voice. This this sacrificial love and respect, it's, it's a core thing that we both need and that we lead in. Let me give you one more under commitment. You're forward looking or are you stuck in the past? Are you forward looking or are you stuck in the past? And this one, Proverbs has that great verse, where there's no vision, the people perish. I'd say the same thing in marriage. Where there's no vision, marriages start to perish. And here's all it means. When there's, there's no picture of where we're going, when there's no future in front of us, when there's nothing around the bend, when we don't spend some energy and some time and thinking about it and praying about it and looking forward to it, you just find yourself stuck in a rut living the same day over and over. And at some point you go, man, there's gotta be more. This is why, frankly, so many empty nesters struggle. Because when you have kids, you kind of got a built-in vision. 
I got to get them out of diapers. I got to get them in school. I got to get them through school. I got to get a driver's license with them. I want to get them educated and I want to get them gone. And then you hit the vision and then couples look up and they go, ooh, what's next? We haven't thought about us. We haven't talked about us. We haven't dreamed about us. And so all along the way, you just want to ask yourself, and it's easy in the busy, busyness of life for this one to go quick, of when's the last time we just kind of sat down together and are we more forward looking as a couple or, man, are we getting a little stuck? We're kind of in the routine of it. All right, right now, real quick, let's, let's just take a, a quick break. Take your pen on those three, mark it. Mark it, don't overthink it, just mark it. Just mark it, mark it quick. Don't look at each other's. I don't need fights right now, okay? Don't look at it, just mark it. Mark it as a diagnostic. We're just checking it. Doesn't even have to be, there's nothing scientific about this, by the way. So just don't overthink it. But look at that first category of commitment. Second category, communication, communication. And this one is either marked by a loving vulnerability or a closed negativity. And, and here's what I mean in that. One of the best verses is to the church, but it's so good in marriage. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're able to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. That, that phrase, when you think of communication, this phrase marks loving vulnerability. When I say loving, it's, it's marked by love, that sacrificial love, but there's a vulnerability in our communication that we're talking about what's real. And I'm talking about what's real in my life, in your life. Or at the other end, a closed negativity. You may not have a negative attitude per se, but it's just become negative in the communication. It's, it's just not happening. All three of these lines are so important. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking, we actually talk. You actually have to verbally talk for that to be true. We speak the truth. We actually talk about the things that are real what we're really feeling, what's really going on. And then you have to add this one. There's a lot of you, you're doing these two real well. You speak the truth, but use it like a weapon. Well, I'll tell you the truth about you. I'll tell you the truth about your mother. I'll tell you, that. I mean, there's a lot of truth telling that's going on, but it's not marked by love. All of which can be damaging. And, and so as you look at that, that speaking the truth, that loving vulnerability, part of it is just choosing to engage. You know, one of my favorite researchers in the area of marriage is a, a Dr. John Gottman. He, research Institute, they've done studies over the years. And, and he kind of puts in two categories. He calls the masters and the disasters in marriage. And one of their key indicators is how often do you respond to your spouse's bids for communication? Here's how he describes it. He says, you know, if a husband's standing at the back window and he's looking out and he goes, oh, look at that robin on the fence. Oh, it's beautiful. Now, it's a pretty boring conversation. He's highlighting a bird. But in that moment, here's what he calls it. Every time you point out something, every time you say, that's a bid to your spouse to engage. And if she looks up and she goes, oh yeah, that is a beautiful robin. Oh, that is your favorite bird, isn't it? See, she turned toward, or she has a choice that she kind of keeps eating cereal or looking at her phone going, oh, he is so caught up with birds. I am so sick of the birds. 
See, it's a turn toward or turn away. When Gottman studied couples in this, he said almost invariably, this is one of the key things that they would use to predict who would be divorced within five years. You go, seriously, that simple a thing? He said, people that only turn toward about a third of the time, they put in the disaster category. That's a marriage in trouble. Healthy marriage, the turn toward rate was around 87% of the time. That, that when you come home and you're looking through the bills and she said, oh man, you're not gonna believe what happened today. Ooh, do I turn toward? When he throws out something out about his hobby or man, did you read about this? And it may be a category you don't care about at all. It's in that moment, that loving sacrifice you turn toward. It's just, it's just a bid for communication in that. And as you do that, then you season it, the next category they do, you wanna really mark when we're turning toward, when we're engaging, is my communication marked by kindness or contempt? Kindness or contempt? And again, Gottman would, would say that contempt is the number one indicator Number one indicator this, this trouble couple is going to get a divorce. When, when it's put like that, he calls it poison out of it. If you look at it, listen to his words, he says, contempt's the one, number one factor that tears us apart. People who are focused on criticizing their partners miss a whopping 50% of positive things their partners are doing, and they see negativity when it's not there. Once you move to that category, you, you're missing now the good and all you see is the bad. They give their partner the cold shoulder, deliberately ignoring the partner responding minimally, damage the relationship, and actually starts damaging both your health as well. Flip side of it, kindness is what he calls the glue that holds it together. It's a glue. I love how Paul puts it in Ephesians. He just says, be kind to one another. And he's writing to the church, how much more if we just made this a marriage verse? How much more if you just applied this as a couple? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, that phrase, love is blind, it really isn't. You got about an 18 month window when your brain, when you first fall in love, is so bombarded with chemicals, with the hormones and everything, that you really are blind to everything. You're so in love with them, you're just blind to all their faults. And so you ever see the young couple and they're so in love, sometimes I'll have it in the counseling, they're, they're gonna get married and you know, he, he'll say something like, she'll look at him and go, oh, he's just my little mess. I love how he leaves piles of clothes and I love, you know, and I'm like, yeah, give it 18 months when those chemicals wear off. And he's like, oh, I just love the way she finishes my sentences for me. She knows what I need. And you're like, oh, wait. Right. At some point it wears off and you suddenly look at it. And, and here's what a lot of couples and why we see so many divorced a couple of years in, they look at each other and they go, oh, I married the wrong person. They're not who I thought they were. All that happened is what's gonna happen, by the way, with every single person that you, you keep doing these string of relationships. Because that wears off. Love's not blind, guys, but you know what love is? It's actually kind. That when it wears off, and they have flaws, that loving sacrifice like Christ did, you move into that. You love them. You, you choose to respond in kindness. 
And then if you wanna build it, the third part on communication, gratitude and resentment. Gratitude is actually the great rebuilder for a couple that's stuck in a contemptuous relationship. If you'll just start doing this, just start, and, and researchers and others, they would say, just if you would just start every time you think about them, instead of thinking what's wrong, think of one thing you appreciate they're doing and remind yourself of it. I, I, Paul does this all the time. I'm always shocked when Paul's writing the different churches, they all give him a reason to be mad at them, but he almost always starts with a verse like this. Man, I thank God every time I think about you. I'm so thankful for you. Gratitude, just, just choosing to go, okay, what is it that they do that I love before you think of what they did to do wrong? Praising it. You know, one woman, she was doing studies and she was a, a reporter with the Times and she was sent out to study how do they train these animals like Shamu and these other huge animals. And as she started studying it, she realized what would happen if I started applying this to my husband? This is a real article. And so she, because she, the, the trainer said, they said, if there's negative behavior, we don't, we don't even point it out. We ignore it. All we do is praise what we really like. All, all we do is anytime they do the right thing, they get praised. So she said, I'm gonna do it for a test. And she went home and, she, and it drove her crazy that her husband would drop his clothes right in front of the hamper. The hamper's right there. How did they end up here? And every day she'd find herself going, I, the one day he put one sock in, she praised him. One day he put the dishes, but she started praising him. And she stepped back and she goes, I think Shamu has taught me more about marriage than anything else. <laughs> now again, guys, we're not talking about behavior modification only, but it is this core principle that you praise them. You show gratitude. So take a moment, take a moment. Mark where you are. Mark where you are as a couple. All right, third category, connection, connection. Emotionally close or emotionally distant. This one comes right on the heels of communication because it's gonna impact that. Do, do you feel emotionally close? And, and if we're honest husbands, we're not as good at this one. We're just not, because we, we don't always are, in, we're not always in touch with our emotions as much. In fact, I, I would say of hearing from marriage counselors and talking to couples over the years, probably the number one thing you'll hear from wives is I just wish we were connected more at emotional level. I wish I knew what was going on. Uh, Paul Turnier writes about one wife who came to see him. And she goes, my, my husband, is, he's just like this island. And I keep circling the island. And I'm in the boat looking for a beach. I'm looking for a shore. I'm looking for a dock. I'm looking for anything that I go, man, I could pull up and connect with you. And I keep circling and all I see are rocky cliffs. He just gives me nothing. You know, Proverbs has a, a passage that I think describes that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you keep hoping for something and it keeps getting putting off, keep putting off, at some point you get heart sick. And that's what I hear from her. And that's what I hear from a lot of wives. That's what I have to guard against. Because I can do this. I can get so focused on my life and world. I look up and I realize, man, I've got my island going. Am I putting out enough beaches or docks? Connection. 
And sometimes it just shows up in little ways. It's usually in those bids when a, a conversation's put. Have you ever had this as a wife? You, you're there and I've, I've come home at times or Lee walks in and she goes, oh man, let me tell you about, this was so frustrating. Let me tell you what happened today. And, and she starts the story of what happened and the problem that she had. And, and even before she's finished the story sometimes, I immediately kind of jump in and go, oh, well, you should have just done X. And I solved the problem. Now, how do you think that goes? It's kind of like, thank you for playing. Pick up your door prize, go to the left. <laughs> and sometimes she's looking at me like, I knew the answer to the problem. Here's what she was doing in the moment. It was a bid. Can you feel my frustration with me? Can you go on the journey with me? Now, as guys, we're prone. I mean, guys are prone to fix it. Well, man, we're gonna fix it and move forward. This is real simple. I'm, I just made your life better. You should be thanking me here. And you're frustrated with me. And, and a lot of times, and I'll just say this, ladies, a lot of times when you wanna know what we feel, we often don't know what we feel. That's part of the problem is we're trying to discover it. You know, I've, I've told you before, but I, one, of, one of the ways this jumped out at me the most in our marriage was uh, years ago, Lee and I had been married almost nine years and we were struggling with infertility, couldn't have kids. Now you look at our family now, you know, seven kids, grandkids and all that. You went, but it, those were hard years. You go eight, eight and a half years into that, there's a lot of pain. And for those of you who are on that journey, hear me. Just know, I, it is, it's a painful journey that you walk as a couple. And Lee in particular would just feel it every month, the tears with it. And all that came with it. And, and there was surgery for endometriosis and we were seeing the doctors and all the different parts and every part of it. And she just, man, over and over again, she's crying in it. And I thought my job was, no, I gotta be, we gotta stay positive. We gotta, man, we're gonna keep praying and God's got this and we're gonna, and, and so, you know, there's that point of you're trying to encourage and it becomes discouraging. And finally, I remember we saw the doctor and they said, look, guys, we, we've tested all this. We don't find physical, we're not. I mean, we don't know why. And we don't know if you ever will. And I remember laying in bed that night and Lee was crying. And I'm just sitting there, I don't have any more fix-it answers. And finally, in the stillness of it, kind of started searching my own heart. And I said to her, I said, well, maybe it's me. And she's like, no, we went to the doctor. I said, no, not that. I said, I mean, think about it. You know, my dad died and that relationship, that gap and my stepfather and that was messed up. Maybe I'm just not supposed to be a dad because I'd be a really bad dad. And I had all these fears I didn't even realize I had. And I just started crying. Man, I'll never forget her just rolling over. And just in that moment, just speaking into me, she's like, I, I don't know if we'll ever have kids, but I know you'd be a great dad. You got this, that's what she's doing. I didn't even know I needed those words that much. I needed her words. 
She needed my tears. She didn't need me to fix it. She just needed me to feel it with her on the journey. Now, I'd love to stand up here today and go, and lo, I learned that lesson 30 years ago and I am the best at it now and we don't struggle with that. That's not the case. I'm still on the journey of learning that. But I just encourage all of us, there's this place of stepping and going, and are we connecting at a heart level? Or have we gotten more distant than we like to admit? A couple other connection points, companionship and fun. Do we have fun together? Or are you married, but you're living life alone? Um, Ladies, the currency for emotional connection is if he has some fun with you, he's more open to connect than the other. They go hand in hand. And so stopping and figuring out, when's the last time we did something fun for us? Not, Not the whole family, us. What is it we like to do? Maybe it's going to a movie. Maybe it's doing an event. Maybe we like hiking. Maybe one of us likes something and we sacrifice for the sake of the other. Maybe we love nothing more than going out with another couple that we really enjoy. But make sure it's actually a couple that we enjoy. She doesn't want to go out with your college buddies and their two girlfriends that she doesn't really know. He doesn't want to go out with you and your best friend and her husband that you're determined they're going to be best friends if they just spent more time together. It doesn't always happen. You need those people. You go, man, we're connecting and we're having fun together out of it. And then the third part of connection is sexually. Sexually satisfied, sexually dissatisfied. Paul, very profound advice here. He says, don't deprive each other. He's talking about sex, perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul's writing to the church. There was these couples in the church that thought it was really spiritual that we're dedicating ourselves to fasting and praying and we go long periods of time without having sex. And Paul goes, that is not smart. He says, you, you need to engage sexually in your relationship. And so he says to them, okay, maybe for a short time because of prayer, but even then a short time, because you don't want to give Satan an opportunity in it. Now, now hear me, if he's saying that over prayer, what would he say about some of the excuses couples give? Well, we're not having sex because we're too tired. We're not having sex because we're too busy. We're not having sex because we're not engaged in it. Guys, if, if he says you only do it a short time for prayer, I promise he'd look at you and go, oh, this is dangerous. You need to be connecting. And as you're connecting, you need to be investing in it. I love Proverbs. This is talking about sex here, by the way, in this passage. He says, may your fountain be blessed. May, your, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Notice he doesn't say you rejoice in your young wife. He says, you rejoice in the wife of your youth. There's an investment there. You know, in church, when we teach on sex, a, a lot of times with that, uh, best metaphor is sex is like fire. It really is, it's so powerful. That's why it's only in the fireplace of marriage because God wants to protect us. And so the church, we're really strong about teaching, going, man, save it for there, for your own sake, for your own protection. It's in the fireplace of marriage between a man and a woman. That's where sex belongs. But, but there's another side of this teaching. God actually expects us to stoke the fire. 
God actually expects the fireplace to be roaring. And there's a commitment that all of us have to have in that if you're a married couple. All right, take a moment. We're almost through. Take a moment. Mark, mark where you're on this one. Mark where you're on this one. And then we'll just look at this last category here, conflict. Conflict. And we're not going to go too long on it. I just want to hit. Conflict is not the sign of a bad marriage. Hear me. Conflict is not the sign of a bad marriage. Conflict is the sign of an alive marriage. Now, some marriages have more than others based on your wiring. That's just the reality. So you really can't compare to other people. There's damaging conflict for sure, but the fact that you're alive, you're gonna come to things and see things differently and you produce conflict out of that. And so what you've gotta ask yourself, are we stronger through the struggle or are we always constantly pulling apart? Are we stronger or pulling apart? And as you, you look at that, I love Paul's words. He says, be angry, but do not sin. This is another great marriage verse, by the way, because you're gonna get angry at your spouse but you don't have to get sinful. And one of the keys, you don't let it simmer long. The longer you let your anger simmer, you know who loves it? The devil. He will walk through that anger door in a moment. And, and so you, you look at it and go, we're having a conflict. Is this conflict always pulling us apart? Are we actually coming together and we're gonna get stronger we're gonna actually make each other stronger because there's a reason God put us together and we don't see life the same way. We actually could be stronger from this if we let it. But to do that, you gotta ask right now, if you're in conflict and it's not happening, are you at least seeking resolution or are you just stuck in gridlock? Has your marriage become like the federal government? <laughs> Seriously. You look at it, you got this side, you got this side. They're never gonna agree. They're gonna lob things at each other and they are stuck. And the enemy wants you to believe that's where your marriage is. I saw a recent study, more people will get help for depression than couples will get help for their marriage. There's this, this, almost this level of shame about it. Man, if I, I gotta get help for our marriage. Two thirds of couples that divorce never got marriage counseling. Never got any help. And, and so the key, I don't know what you're stuck over, but there are answers. There are people that can help. And so you just gotta ask yourself, where are we on this? All right, take a moment, mark that last category, and then I'm gonna just give you some, some to-do steps as we walk out of here, because I, I wanna be careful anytime you do something like this. It, it can be uh, really bonding. It can also produce some tension. Here's the first thing. Just use this as a tool for discussion. While it's easy to see what your partner should be doing, focus on what you need to change. Focus on you. Second thing, celebrate the good. It's always better to build on the positive. If they do something good this week, maybe they apply something from this message. Do not do this. I hear this, drives me crazy. Somebody goes out of a marriage message. The husband goes, you know what? I'm gonna try. I'm gonna say, I got this. I'm gonna step forward in it. And you know what the wife does? Well, you're just doing that because you heard it in the sermon. <laughs> well, of course he is. <laughs> Celebrate it. Say, here's a fish, Shamu. Man, this was good. <laughs> Celebrate the good. And then as it comes out, confess to each other and ask for forgiveness where you need it. 
It doesn't have to be huge, but there's nothing more powerful than going, you know, I've not been doing that well. And you confess and you forgive each other. Commit to a few goals, maybe even just one. Don't, don't go through the whole list and go, we're gonna come up with a hundred goals, you won't do them. Boy, you pick one or two that you could take away, it'd be amazing. And if you need help, get help. Call us. Maybe it's a biblical life coach. Maybe it's a life group leader. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe you need to go see a marriage counselor. It's worth investing in. Nothing is going to shape your daily life and happiness more. Get help. Don't stay in gridlock with it. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. I thank you for marriage. Only you could design it. This great mystery, how you, you take us and you draw us together. I thank you for Lee. I thank you how she has sacrificially loved me for over these 33 years and just the joy of being married to her. And I pray that uh, these points that I'm teaching is so much easier to teach it up here than to live it out there. And so I just pray for each of us. The enemy's gonna wanna discourage us. The enemy's gonna wanna use this. Instead of bringing more strength, he wants to break people down. Would, would you on each of these points give us a humility would you give us a renewed commitment? Lord, would you through your Holy Spirit help us to love in a way that does not come natural to us, but is so natural to you and is so modeled by Christ in whose name we pray, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.